0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's edition, the New Zealand Rugby Union explains why it's selling off Super Rugby franchises. We mourn the passing of former All Black fullback Bob Scott. Greg Turner explains why he's returning to professional golf. We take a look at Fast Five, the latest version of netball. And there are plenty of comings and goings. Of the latest New Zealand men's hockey team ahead of next month's Champions Trophy. The Hurricanes have become the first Super Rugby franchise to be effectively sold off to private investors. The NZRU sold the franchise licence but will still contract the players and the coaches. The deal is for three years and the group's major shareholder is the Wellington Rugby Union, with other shareholders including former Briley's boss Paul Collins and the Wellnix Group, which runs the Wellington Phoenix. The chief executive of the New Zealand Rugby Union, Steve Chu, says the reason behind the franchise sales is to reduce the NZRU's financial risk, and he admits to a sigh of relief to the deal having been completed.
1: I guess to a point, but I mean we've been working through this process now for the best part of 12 months, so none of this is a surprise. Obviously, to us, we've been working with James and and the group here, and uh, very pleased with the conclusion we've reached. I think the Hurricanes is first off the, off the rank have you know, got a really good head start on the rest, frankly. Did
0: you think you'd have more than just one lined up for 2013, though, when you announced this a year ago? Uh,
1: we have two. So the announcement for the Crusaders will take effect for 2013. It's just that they've still got some contractual details. They're working their way through, but we have an agreement in principle. Uh, it's a different structured consortium, quite different. Uh, so that'll be of interest when it, when it comes out. But uh, oh no, 50%, 50% pass mark, I guess. I mean, it was a step into the unknown, so... Yeah, no, we're actually pretty satisfied.
0: And what are you selling the licences for?
1: Well, we're not selling them. What we are, what we are, what we've done is we've offered an opportunity for people to take over the licence, Effectively, what the Wellington Re- Union has been doing, really, in effect, for the last seventeen years. Uh, and in return, they get the opportunity to be involved. Um, if profits are made, then obviously the distributions will go that way. But, but frankly, most of these businesses need to establish some working capital anyway, so I think we're some time before that happens.
0: So there's no cash exchange for the licence?
1: No, they've injected cash into the entity that's been created. So as they, uh, I think, alluded to, there's somewhere between 2 and $3 million of real money uh, now available to, um, A, provide some backstop for the hurricanes, but B, also as an investment fund. So and the, it'd be for the new board to decide how they, they use that money.
0: So what percentage then does the you still retain?
1: Uh, well we, own, we continue to own 100% the Hurricanes brand. Um, but we've we've never had a uh, financial share in the profits for the franchises. We've only ever looked after the losses. So what we've done now, of course, is we've taken the losses off the table. But as part of that, in a risk and return environment, we pass the profits on.
0: And it makes no difference when it comes to coaching Staff playing staff, they're still contracted we've through.
1: Maintain the same processes, and they um, they've been enshrined in the new licensing agreement. What
0: happens about player selection for the franchise?
1: I mean, it changes up to the coach. Uh, we've never influenced um, player selection other than the players got to got to be contracted.
0: Does it make any difference, though, for the coach that he's now maybe more serving two masters? You, you've got that, I suppose, profit-driven factor given this change has occurred. Uh,
1: no, because there's always been a, an element of, of two masters. I mean, we employ the coach. Uh, all the, co- the, the the ten coaches, um, but they've always been day-to-day managed by the the union running each of the franchises. So I don't think Mark will notice a difference in that regard. What he will know is he's got a bit more comfort about what's in behind this franchise. And I think this group of um, investors is very exciting for the Hurricanes. I think, and uh, you know, Paul's very experienced. A man around this, this, this neck of the woods um, his heart's in the Hurricanes and he's now putting some of his own money into it, which I think is fantastic. I think the addition of Wellnicks is a good step forward and I think something that we may see evolve in Wellington. They're obviously a group of people that really care about this region and they see sport as an important part of it.
0: How would you see them turning a profit then? Well,
1: they're going to run a successful franchise, get more people through the gates and manage their costs.
0: The fact that you moved away from it though, that obviously says you're quite there's something there that you want to be away from.
1: No, no, what we we, um, came to uh, at the end of the 2011 championship were five franchises that were all finding life very difficult financially. They all came to us and said, we think we need to look at something different. We went through a process, you may remember, we had uh, um, Brent Impey and Alan Isaac conduct a sort of review of sorts and made some recommendations. They actually recommended that we look to to sell equity uh, in the franchises off-completely. We decided against that, we believe we should maintain uh, ownership 100% on behalf of the 26 unions, the five uh, brands or franchises which we've done, but we're now in return for an injection of capital and some independent governance, we've taken ourselves uh, one step back if you like, but retained the two things that we think are critical for our competitive advantage and that is the um, employment of the coaches and the central contracting model.
0: The, the amount of money they've stumped up with, is that sort of a deciding factor? What Capital can be brought to each of these franchises. Is that kind of well, decide who who gets the, the ticket? Uh,
1: well, we've, no. We we received um, in the in, to, in the end, we received five proposals. One from Taranaki which was based on we're, we're only here to help. So if you don't need us, then park it. Which is what we've done. Um, we've been in an exclusive negotiation with this consortium for, the, for several months. Um, they have themselves come up with a value that they think is necessary and um, we've agreed uh, and very comfortable with the injection of cash that's um, been provided. Salary cap? is Well the salary cap is the budget that we provide each franchise, so every, each of our franchises has a salary budget to spend each year and I think you know we've been trying to equalise those because they've obviously been different over, over time and uh, they've all selected and contracted their teams for next year under that budget.
0: So is that going to change? Highlands is come-
1: quite tight, it's fair to say.
0: <laughs> is that going to change given you've got other parties no, coming in, stumping if they turn and stump up with more cash, therefore that makes them a richer uh, franchise? No, that's not. The, the
1: intention is not for this money to be used to buy a super team. The intention is for this money is to come in and provide an opportunity to invest in other areas around uh, competitive advantage, uh, around facilities, around marketing, around the stadia, or whatever, actually this new board decides the Hurricanes needs. But we don't. We, we think we're uh, our player retention uh, and player recruitment is in pretty good shape.
0: So salary cap stays. Well, well, we don't have a
1: salary cap. We have a well, each franchise has a budget,
0: and that's which is effectively a yep. But it's but not. That, that you know, we, we haven't to,
1: said we're stopping. We're not. You know, we. What we do is we've got so much money we spend on players each year. It's 36% of our player payment pool. Uh, we have a proportion of it which we spend on the top 30-ish players which are the all-blacks. Uh, we, we, we invest, obviously, in sevens and some other things. The rest is basically divided by five, and that's what pays for the um, 30 or 40 professional players at each franchise contracts.
0: But there's nothing to stop this new money coming in being used to pay top-up?
1: Uh, so that's not the intention. That's not the intention, but, and, and, but legally? And, and, well, yeah, there's, a, there's the, the room, if you like, for uh, some third-party investment, but that's already there.
0: But, so that money could... You could, you could you end yeah, up with a super won't, team. but it
1: won't last long. The money won't last long if that's where they go. It's not, as I say, it's not the intention. We haven't legislated against it because I think that would be very difficult to do in our employment environment. But I can assure you that the uh, injection of cash that's going into this franchise would not last long if it's spent on players.
0: I was talking with New Zealand Rugby Union Chief Executive Steve Tew. The former All Blacks fullback Bob Scotts died at the age of 91. Scott was a prominent member of the Kiwi Army rugby team which toured Britain at the end of the Second World War and made his all-black test debut in New Zealand's first post-war test series against Australia in 1946. He went on to play 17 tests between 1946 and 1954. At the end of his international career, he moved from Auckland to Petone in Wellington, running a menswear shop in partnership with Andy Leslie, who went on to become all-black captain.
2: My first memories of Bob would be when he'd come down here uh, to play for Petone, you know, the grandstand sold out. I was a ball boy at the time. It was when you know probably club football was at its, its real peak for patronage, people watching the game, all that sort of stuff. And uh, he came to the Patoni side, and it was absolutely wonderful.
0: At what stage of his career was he at then?
2: Well, he had uh, he he had just finished the tour in, in uh, 53 fifty three, fifty four, and he come down here. And although you know, like I know, he was uh, approached to see if he would. Come out of retirement in '56 when the Springboks toured here, but you know he it was a decision he decided not to make.
0: He's famous for his barefoot goal kicking too, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, that
2: was that was all legend stuff. He, uh, Bob would, uh, when he retired, yeah, you know, he'd go all over the country uh, refereeing games and doing goal kicking demonstrations at half-time, and, and it would all be with his uh, boots off, and you know that's how he grew up as a kid. He, that's how he kicked a ball when he was, you know, at primary school, never had boots. Uh, family could never afford boots, and he just learned to do it that way. And the actual fact as he often said, it was uh, he was more comfortable kicking a ball without his boots on than he was actually with boots.
0: Quite a character too, quite an extrovert, wasn't he?
2: Oh, he was, yeah, he was, I don't know what's the best way to, to explain Bob, uh, you never won an argument with him. You you know, you had great discussions. We had to have discussions that would last for weeks in the shop. Um, And, uh, uh, Bob, you know, you you had to be pretty good to to win the argument. But uh, he loved teaching people, passing on skills, whether it be rugby, which he loved, and golf, which he loved playing. And no doubt he was the same on the bowling green. He was always willing to to share all his his expertise and uh, just hoping that people, you know, learned off him. I think I can remember when... Ken Scotland come out here and toured with the Lions. That uh, Bob was he was having difficulty with his kicking, and Bob showed him, you know, and talked to him, and, uh, t- and he saw that as, as you know a, a lot of his kicking problems.
0: For someone like you, it must be very sad in the sense. Obviously, you saw him when he was at his peak with the All Blacks as a, as a youngster yourself, and then you go through and, and spend twenty years in business with him. He's obviously a, a, a big figure in your life.
2: Yeah, he, he was. A ex- Extremely big influence in my life. I, I lost my dad uh, when I was recently young, as a 17, 18-year-old, and uh, Bob, you know, he was pretty much a father figure to me, always very generous in his, his time. Later on when we got married, and then later on when we, I, I come into partnership with him in business, he was, you know, always very generous to, uh, with his time and his thoughts to Leslie and I and, and you know, our, our children. Irene, his wife, who you know, who he's just missed so so much since when she passed away. They were they were just uh, wonderful people towards us.
0: What do you remember about him a- as a player? Because uh, I suppose the the fa- the stories about his goal kicking and, and bare feet, I suppose, that sort have of become the the thing many people remember about <laughs> him as a player. But there was obviously more to him than, than that.
2: People always used to talk about him being way before his time as a player. He, he you know he had skills he ran into back lines he did things which you know they had great anticipation great great judgment uh, great balance and uh, well it didn't matter what you play if, if you're playing marbles in the shop you know he he'd, he'd won a win and uh, he had a tremendously uh, competi- great competitive streak in him but never never to the point where it was everything if you, if you did manage to beat him You know, uh, it was congratulations, but watch out next time.
0: (laughs) I was talking to former All Black captain Andy Leslie about the passing of former All Black fullback Bob Scott. There will be an old face making an appearance at the New Zealand Golf Open at Clearwater near Christchurch next week with Greg Turner returning to the event. The 49-year-old Turner, a four-time winner on the European Tour, retired from professional golf in 2004 to spend more time with his family and develop his course design business. Turner's won the New Zealand Open twice, at Paraparaumu in 1989 and Middlemore in 1997. He last played the Open in 2002, when Tiger Woods competed. Barry Guy asked him why he's decided to make a comeback.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, oh, look, the planets have all lined up. Um, it wasn't something um, I had been sort of thinking was going to be on the horizon, but... Um yeah, look, a few things. I'm 50 next year, so I'm, I'm eligible to play in some seniors' events over in Europe. But I'm forth from my career money list. So if I, you know, I haven't decided I'm going to do that yet, but if I am, I need to um, I need to uh, re relearn a few skills, if you like. So that's kind of, that involves getting out and playing. So New Zealand Open is obviously an opportunity to sort of put the toe back in the water and and start that process to see if um, if I can still be competitive.
4: I'm assuming you obviously haven't taken a complete break from the sport and it's still something that you' you've been playing regularly
3: <laughs> no i wouldn't say that um, I actually had when I stopped there uh, I had three years completely off where i didn't have a golf shot so that was kind of interesting um, and then it's been i've only been playing i would have been playing once a month i suppose since then i've played a bit in the last two or three months I've played quite a bit more um, you know with the knowledge that i might be um, might be trying to start playing again so so yeah it's it's my retirement's Looks like it might have turned into a um, sabbatical. Uh,
4: it's just like riding a bike, is it? You would never forget.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I could still ride a bike too, but it's the difference between riding a bike and competing in the Tour de France, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, look, no, no, no. Look, the game's okay. You know, um, physically, it's fine. It's relearning those core skills. It's, you know, it's, it's that sort of stuff that gets you around and puts a score on the board that gets pretty rusty and. And there's no place to there's no place to hone that other than on the golf course and in competition. Really, you can't. That's the stuff you can't practice. The stuff you can practice is it still seems to be okay.
4: So straight back into the New Zealand Open, you not just wanted to play, say your club championship first or something to get back into it, straight into the Open.
3: Well, I played the I played the Herewood Open um, at Charles two um, three or four weeks ago, um, which was you know a four round event on on a course with. Redeveloped over up in Christchurch, and that was interesting. Um, so you know, I got my toe back in the water there. Look, New Zealand Open's come along at this time. Um, they were keen to keen for me to play, which I appreciate. And um, you know, that's so. You know, it is in the deep end a little bit, but hey, you know, you got to uh, sometimes sometimes the deep end's where you got to go.
4: And uh, your introduction when you get on to that first tee, I suppose it'll be all those things that happened a few years ago. You might have a little bit of a chuckle, perhaps, that you're now returning.
3: Uh, yeah well, I suppose that's right um, uh, yeah that'll be it. i hadn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't got my head around the first two yet uh, but uh yeah look it it wasn't something I was kind of expecting um so um yeah i'm just um I've got, you know, in a way i am quite looking forward to it
4: a few nerves though do you think you know you, don't, you know you, uh, the great sports people don't want to make a fool of yourself or anything, but you don't think you're uh, you know that far down.
3: Oh, look, golf's a game that you're constantly um, putting yourself in a position to make a fool out of yourself. So, um, you know, that's (laughs) even when you're playing all the time. So, uh, yeah, look, I expect I'll be nervous. I mean, I think, you know, you're nervous every time you get on the tee. You've got professional pride. You've got, um, you know, those are important things. So so nerves are not something to be scared of. They're something you've just got to, you know, work out how to handle. And um, I kind of look forward to that feeling in your gut that you get when you're on the first tee.
4: And uh, from this event, you'll gauge perhaps where you're at and what might happen in the
3: future. Then, yeah. Look, it's a fact-finding mission for me, and, and you know, I know that I'm. I know that I'll be well off, you know, off the pace. It's just a matter of you know, you know. What I found here with the other week was that that I had a lot more good shots than I was expecting, and um, and yes, it was rusty, and, and yes, in the scoring zones especially, but. Um, you know I'm not expecting anything different, I think you know I'd like at the end of the week, whether that be on Friday night or uh, or Sunday night I'd like to think of've you know I, I know a little bit more than I did at the start of the week and and know what I need to be working on and and and, and have a bit better gauge of uh, you know am i am I sort of you know half a dozen tournaments away from being where I feel like I need to be or is it or is it further than that and um but you know, you you won't know that until you get out there and and give it a shot
4: and I'm assuming there's still plenty of guys there that you may be. Uh, enjoy playing alongside that you know
3: absolutely quite a number of guys and you know and a lot of the young guys i've been keeping an eye on too so you know when we set up that um, golf tour in new zealand you know many years ago there was a lot of guys that were starting then guys like josh munn and ryan fox and you know who are coming through and and being really you know good young players now so it'll be kind of good to catch up with them so i'm looking forward to
4: it and just a slightly different you know michael campbell in the last few months has sort of Coming back and scoring a few uh, rounds that he'd be happy with, you, you know, is encouraging for him.
3: Fantastic, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, he's uh, as you say, very encouraging. Good round yesterday, and um, and good stuff. Um, um, really good stuff a few weeks ago. So, you know, those are good signs. And uh, you know, with Cambo, he's always had the ability to 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 put you know, l- you know lengthy periods of of, of not great plays you know behind him quite quickly. So who knows? Um, he may be able to do that again. And certainly the Signs are that there's a bit of the old Cambo still
0: there. Greg Turner, who'll play his first New Zealand Open in ten years next week at the Clearwater. You're listening to Extra Time, a web only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. Netball's Fast Five World Series was launched last weekend in Auckland. It's the latest attempt at a new shorter version of the game, akin to rugby sevens or twenty twenty cricket. It's five aside with six minute quarters, and there are two and three-point shooting zones. Richard Wayne joined the netball fans at Victor Arena.
5: That's the sound of the crowd on finals night. Victor never sold out over the three days, but everyone seemed like they had a good time and the netball was definitely entertaining. Jamaica and Captain Nadine Bryan had a rollercoaster ride. How about this format? I mean, I think you lost your first one and you drew with the ferns on your second one. It's so unpredictable.
6: (laughs) Yes, it is. That's how it is. You never know who will come out on top.
5: So it's quite good in terms of, as a tournament, all the, all the nations have a real chance here.
6: Yes, it is. Um, it's up for grabs. Anybody come out on the, um, the day to perform railway, shooting railway. That's the main thing in these, these competitions. So we have to be on top of shooting. That is what's going to take us through.
5: And it was that shooting that saw Jamaica make the semi-finals. After the surprise draw with the Fast Five Ferns, the Sunshine Girls needed to beat Malawi to keep their hopes alive. But they found themselves trailing the Africans by five points with time all but up. Luckily, it was Jamaica's power play quarter. Up stepped the giant shooter Janil Fowler, almost two metres tall, to sink a big six-pointer.
6: Honestly, it seemed as if tons of pressure came off of me, I was so so concentrated, I felt really good when I think
5: the shot. What an amazing way to win it, I mean, did you think that you'd be able to pull that shot off right at the end? I knew I was
6: going to pull it off, because once I got the ball, I said, I have to do this, all or nothing.
5: Another clutch piece of long-range shooting came from an unlikely source, the Silver Ferns veteran Irene Van Dyke. The evergreen short-range specialist provided the fans' highlight of the opening day, draining the big shot in the win over Australia. Irene, is that your, is that your longest goal ever?
6: Oh yes, by far.
5: <laughs> Did you know you had that in you?
6: No, <laughs> but I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah,
5: you're enjoying this? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, it is totally different, unpredictable. You know, you see the
3: teams like South Africa and Malawi who are smashing it, and it's quite exciting to see.
2: Are you
5: surprised by Malawi? I mean, gosh, they were very unlucky against Jamaica.
6: They are sensational. They are really fantastic. So, yeah, definitely a dark horse coming through there. How how are you guys finding the balance between having fun and, like, getting amongst it, which you seem to be, and still wanting to win a competition? You know, there's a fine line, but I think when you have fun, things will fall into place, and if you trust one another, you know, we know one another quite well, so we can have fun and play really well.
5: The stand-in fern skipper Laura Langman was also enjoying things with the extra room the five-a-side game gives over its more crowded seven-player older sister.
6: It's, it's, I think it's a mid-quarters dream really. We don't have much to do other than um, control that through court, so having all that space is, is ideal. It's a great game actually. I think the new format is really bringing it alive and uh, this is something that's going to grow.
5: What do you make of the crowd atmosphere as well? I mean it's a bit of a festive sort of a yeah, style out there, isn't
6: it? it's perfect. That's exactly what we wanted and it's great to see everyone getting involved. There's some neat costumes out there.
5: Langman captained a full-strength team for New Zealand and they won the competition, beating England by two points in a tight final, while Australia ran with a development side and lost every game. But Langman's not sure the Diamonds got it that wrong.
6: I don't know whether anyone's approach is right or wrong, to be honest. It really came down to that first day, kind of testing the waters and finding out what teams had strategised and were planning to do. And so it wasn't, there. It wasn't their day, or it hasn't been their year this year.
5: South Africa was strong and made the semis, losing to eventual runners-up England. A standout for the South Africans was the goalkeeper, Vaness-Marie Dutoit, and she loves the new shorter fast-five game.
6: I really do. It's quite challenging. Um, I don't know who said this is a defender's game, because they were lying, because it's really tough for defense, because we don't have a unit, and it's a lot of man-to-man. I don't think it's a defender's game. You can turn how many balls you want. If those shooters, then put it in you're not going to win at all. So it, it's, if everything comes from the shooters, and if they're capable of doing the three-pointers and two-pointers and capitalising, especially on power play.
5: Kayla Cullen's a converted goal shoot who's playing centre for the Ferns. Cullen not surprised the Minnows hog the limelight a bit more in Fast Five as the fast-paced game suits their athletes and New Zealand. Their the standard's actually been pretty good cool in terms of you know the so-called yeah, minnows.
6: Yeah, I think this is actually this is a different kind of uh, fitness. Different, it's different to netball, so it's more anaerobic than aerobic. And I think this star suits uh, Jamaica, Malawi, and England maybe a little bit better.
5: This fast five game is fast, isn't it? And it seems to suit the, the way so that New Zealand plays. Five. Yeah, like you're moving the ball really fast through the court and racing all over them in defence. It seems the high pace suits New Zealand.
6: Yeah, I really like it. It comes out of the defence end so fast, There's all those long passes. It's very flary, if you can call it that, but no, I like it. Okay.
5: Do you think it's got a future this sport
6: Uh Definitely. I think it's going to grow in New Zealand. Uh, well, hopefully it does. It's a very uh, entertaining sport, as you can see. With it, hopefully we get better at the threes, <laughs> which I think will make it more interesting.
5: To my mind, it's like indoor netball.
6: Yeah, minus, is it minus one Yeah, more? One, one, one less player. One less player. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe if we could let the centres shoot, maybe it could be a little bit more fun.
5: Ferns coach Waimarama Monu agrees that letting the centres shoot is one rule change officials could look at for next time, but there are others too.
6: Yes, that's
4: a possibility, and the other one that I quite like to see because the intensity of the game took us a bit by surprise. I think perhaps we need more than 10 people because we're tired. <laughs> Um, And I don't think any of us thought six-minute quarters would take that much out of you. But when you're covering the amount of court that you are now, and I really like the idea of just five on the court, I think that's great. But the physical intensity of it was much
6: greater than we expected.
5: No doubt the best good news story of the weekend was the African Minnows Malawi with their lithe shooter Mwai Kumwenda. Malawi instantly won over the crowd by beating Australia in their opening game. Then the Queens defeated the Diamonds again in the wooden spoon match to keep the Aussies winless. Mwai was pretty happy. Beating Australia twice and England at this tournament, this is a a great success for Malawi.
6: That's good experience for us because most of the time we don't come to Flanders because of money. So that's good for us to do some, like race most of the time with these teams.
5: You've been playing in Victoria, I understand, in the Victorian State League. Yeah. Has that been good as well for your development and for stuff you can pass on to the team as well?
6: Yeah, it's good for me because I learned a lot in Australia because in Australia there's good net So I learned a lot, like skills, like a lot of shooting from Australia. So it's good coaches there. Yeah. And do you think people at home will realise what's just happened here in New Zealand? Yeah, they're very excited in Malawi to beat Australia. It's amazing.
5: <laughs> what do you think of the Fast Five format? Is it good that I guess there's more international games with this sort of tournament happening?
6: Yeah, it's good for us because it's like we don't know who can win and who can lose, so it's hard. Yeah.
5: Any team can beat any team, I think. In, in this. Yeah,
6: any team can beat any team. If you can turn hard, you can beat them. So if you are coming again, we can say we can beat Australia, even if we can beat England. Yeah,
5: and does Malawi need more netball, even yeah. more more games for the Malawi?
6: Yes, in Malawi it's different here in New Zealand and because in Malawi people they started netball like sixteen years. While you here they started netball in six years. So when I'll be back to Malawi, I can teach them to start netball in six years old.
5: Yeah. Great. And what about um the ANZ Championship? Surely somebody should be looking at you. You were fantastic.
6: Yeah, my yeah maybe my future I can play in ANZ Championship because I see like Ireen Dike Cox. Uh, to tie, I like those players so if maybe they can teach me, maybe they can talk to me. I want to talk to them. Maybe next time I can be like
0: them. That's Malawi's Mwai Kum Mwenda, ending that piece from Richard Wayne. Auckland's Victor Arena will host the Faster Five World Series for the next two years and Netball New Zealand Chief Executive Raylene Castle says the tournament broke even financially but they'll be reducing ticket prices next year in an effort to encourage bigger crowds. The new New Zealand men's hockey coach Colin Batch this week announced his first team to compete in next month's Champions Trophy tournament in Melbourne. Dean Cousins has been reappointed as the Black Sticks captain for the top eight nation event, while there are eight players selected who weren't involved in this year's Olympic Games, including three debutants. Batch is a 54-year-old Australian who spent the past two years coaching the Belgium national side. Richard Wayne asked him if it was a good time to take charge of the Black Sticks. Given they finished a disappointing night at the London Olympics.
7: Yeah, that's the positive way of looking at it, for sure. But, you know, New Zealand are ranked sixth in the world at the moment, so they have done a number of good things over the last uh, four or five years. They've been disappointing at the last two majors, which is the World Cup and the Olympics. So we hope to try and change that. We see some uh, real growth in our younger players and we hope to see some success over the next four years. What special
5: qualities do you bring to the Black Stocks do you think?
7: Well, I've I'm now been in, involved. This is my third program that I've been involved with. I had a long stint with Australia as the assistant coach for eight years, and then I ran the Belgium program. So, we're bringing, you know, the best of those programs. I hope, and my experience that I've gained in the, in those areas through Australia and also being based in Europe. So, I hope to bring that to the New Zealand program.
5: What do you hope to achieve in the short term and in the longer term? I guess immediately, obviously, the Champions Trophy is the next challenge, but it's a four-year cycle. Michael, as, as you said, I guess leave it better than you
7: came in? Yeah, I think that's what you're always trying to do, that you want, to, you want the program to grow, and we want to be successful at the major ones, but you also want it to be sustainable beyond the four years. So... You know, if I was to stay beyond four years and have another four years, then we would be building on that, and uh, if, if not then you're leaving a, a good program for someone to follow. Obviously not much time with the Champions Trophy starting next month you've
5: just sort of come into the role. A real challenge there, uh, you haven't had a lot of time with the squad they've had a bit of time together, at least the local players how is all that coming in at
7: that stage? Yeah, it is difficult because you know when I first took over the role I was saying that I'll, it, it'll be very ironic because I'll know more about the Belgian players than what I will about the New Zealand players so it's quite ironic but that's the challenge and that's modern sport, I think that coaches do move around, players move on and it's uh, developing the next group so I'm very much looking forward to that Would top four be a a really good result? Uh, Look we haven't set what we want to achieve yet and I I won't do that until we we are together as a group, if we finish in the top four it would be uh, an outstanding achievement by this group given the number of changes that we have had
5: Is this your team? I mean, you you got to pick this team of, I think, 25 from the wider squad, but you didn't pick the wider squad.
7: No. Well, you know, I'm very reliant on people like Darren Smith and uh, the other selectors because uh, they viewed the National Hockey League. While I know a, a reasonable amount about the top group of players, I don't know enough about what's coming through. So, yes... The original squad was picked for me, so I can only be judged on what I see at the moment, and you know I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see. But my message for those that missed out is that there will be some opportunity next year, and uh, that's what the program will be about.
5: You'll, you'll probably know a lot more about it after this tournament, but you are excited about the potential with some of these new boys?
7: Yeah, and it's not only this group. We've got a group in Malaysia at the moment playing in the junior tournament. Uh, they've drawn against Pakistan, they've beaten Malaysia, and uh, they've lost against Germany overnight. So. There's a number of those that will eventually come through to the system, but it, it does show that we're doing OK.
5: You've got a number of senior players who are unavailable, Kyle Pontifex, Andy Hayward, Ryan Archibald. That's just personal commitments from those guys?
7: Yeah, yeah. There's, um, you know, there's a few more onto that list as well, but it's mainly for personal reasons. Uh, there was an injury with Richard Pethrick, so he was unavailable. So, you know, for me, coming in, it's just an opportunity for the younger players to, to perform and for us to see them at the, at that level. And Look, we've got three new players, one that's basically new because he's only played one game and another one that's played ten games. It's f- basically four new players at a Champions Trophy. It's an ideal tournament to assess them. It's nice to have that enthusiasm and players coming in that r- truly want to... Uh, perform well and they've got their eyes wide open and my job as a coaching staff is to try and provide that uh, experience and level-headedness so that they don't get overawed by that and uh, that will be important as well. What do the Black Sticks need to do better now? Um, Well I think the easy answer to that is perform better at the major tournaments and New Zealand were able to do that at last year's Champions Trophy, uh, finished fourth which was a very good effort here in Auckland. If we could emulate that, that would be very good. But it's not the only goal for the Champions Trophy. It's establishing our style and establishing uh, the younger players in international hockey and having the belief that they can play at that level.
5: Do you think hockey is heading in the right direction with uh, the likes of the Indian Hockey League coming in uh, a more professional basis for some players? Is
7: that going to help? Look, it's to be decided, I think. There are some pluses about that because we see some players that can earn a living off the sport but it will eat into their national program because the last thing we would want is for players to uh, be be playing hockey for 11 and 12 months a year. They do need a rest, and that's one of the problems with uh, going straight from the Olympics to the European club system because they hardly had a rest. So we need to manage that. That's the downside, I think, from the Indian Hockey League. But, um, you know, we work through that and manage that.
5: And High Performance Sport NZ is making their decisions on the next funding round by, I think, maybe around about Christmas. Um, the likes of hockey and triathlon and swimming didn't have a great Olympic Games. So you've sort of got to focus on what you can offer for the next Olympic cycle for, for that funding, isn't it? How,
7: how confident are you of getting what you need to do your job? Yeah, well... You know, we've put in a very good plan, a very detailed plan, Hockey New Zealand. So we believe we've shown that we can keep improving and developing young hockey players and have the success required. So, you know, it's not just about having good players and good coaching staff. It is about the whole plan for four years and, uh, once again, that it's sustainable. So we hope that they will support us in that. It's very, very important that that happens.
0: That's the new New Zealand men's hockey coach, Colin Batch, talking to Richard Wayne. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.
3: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,